I figured out who the neighbor around the corner is. Oh, yeah? I like him a lot. Ooh. He lets me talk as much as I want, is very simple, and has great plans. <laughs> okay, I have to meet him. Sure. Say hi. This is Metro PCS. Metro PCS is in your neighborhood. Come say hi and get unlimited data, talk, and text for only $30, period. All on the fast nationwide 4G LTE T-Mobile network. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. One gigabyte of high-speed data included. See store for details, terms, and conditions of data management info. Log Talk Radio. Hello, folks. It's Chris Daly. And as usual, myself and Denise Maxwell bring you really penetrating conversations with folks making a difference in Jamaica. And today, we are, have a delightful person with us. We have Leek Delanora. He's a PhD student in the anthropology department at Oxford University. And his doctorate explores the deportation of ex-offenders from the UK to Jamaica. He's exploring the experiences of people who are deported to Jamaica after living many years in the UK and perhaps have even grown up there. With the recent issue with the prison gift, this is of most interest. He was drawn to Jamaica in, research, in this research project because it's focused on the deportation of ex-offenders. Jamaica receives a significant amount and it's a small English-speaking country, and there are NGOs who are trying to work this issue. To conduct the interview this evening is my partner, Janice Maxwell. Janice, take it away. Well, thank you, Chris. Luke, we're really happy to have you spend some time with us. So, to get to know you, share a little bit of your background and your family situation that shaped your perspective. Sure. Um yeah, I grew up in Manchester in the UK. Um, and my dad's family, my dad's parents came from India in 1951 um, when it was easy to move from the former, the colonies and former colonies to the UK. And my mum's family are from the north of England. So I suppose my perspective and the way I am where I am now uh, starts with my father telling me stories about racism, which sparked an interest in, in racism in different periods in Britain. And um, I guess a broader interest in social justice and social division. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I got here. Mm. So, what incident or circumstances motivated you to pursue the lives of Jamaican deportees? Mm. I suppose I've always been interested in race and gender and social divisions and the state and the power of the state. So that's kind of from undergraduate in sociology, I was studying these kind of issues, and I began working with a refugee organisation in about 2009 and became more aware of and interested in immigration controls and more angered by them, in fact, and started to focus my studies and activism on asylum, detention, and deportation. And then I came to focus on ex-offenders slightly later when doing a master's because there's lots of stories increasingly in the UK about foreign criminals, in scare quotes, and there's increasing numbers of ex-offenders who are non-citizens being deported, and often they've been in the UK for most of their lives, and Jamaicans are especially likely to fall into this category of long-settled um, non-citizens who enter deportation proceedings through the criminal justice system. I see. So share with us about the deportation policies of the UK in regards to Jamaicans. 
In regards to Jamaicans, right, well, I guess generally, um, before going to Jamaicans, the numbers have gone up of deportation in, in almost all Western democracies, which has been called by a, a scholar called Matthew Gibney the deportation term. So the numbers in the last 20 or 30 years have kind of skyrocketed, especially in the US, but also in Canada, the UK, and other European countries. Uh, and so the policies in the UK, it's increasingly difficult now to assert your rights to family life and to belonging if you have a criminal conviction. And this is kind of based on a policy largely rooted in a policy called the 2007 Borders Act, which made deportation almost automatic after a 12-month sentence, which mirrors the U.S. 1996 laws. But it means if you get a 12-month conviction, you're very likely to be deported, and the Home Office will pursue your deportation. And then, mm. so that's the kind of general scene for ex-offenders. But in terms of Jamaicans, there's nothing specific there. But Jamaicans are high in the prison population in the UK. They're the third out of, out of the foreign, foreign groups after Poland and then Ireland, and they were the highest in sort of 2008, 2010. And they're likely to have enduring ties. And I guess policies that are relevant are also there's lots of irregular migrants from, from Jamaica in the UK who come as visitors and overstay, or, or people who come as children and don't ever get citizenship. Oh, well, I was curious about, okay, I mean, Jamaicans have the highest surge when the wind rush, that's when Jamaicans or West Indians on a whole, would come to to England as in such a large quantity. I mean, are they still coming at that? Usually Jamaicans would migrate to, to the U.S. or Canada now. I mean, are they still coming in any in the think, kind of droves that you are. saw them during the wind rush hour? Remember when the wind rush? I don't, I don't know if you know about that. Are you, are yeah, you familiar yeah, with the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm aware of the Windrush, and, and they call that generation the Windrush generation. So, right. um, so yeah, there, is, there isn't any numbers like that, but I suppose the thing about migration is it tends to be cumulative, or at least based on networks, so people do keep moving, um, mm. and people might move because an, an uncle says they can get a job in in South London or something like that. But the numbers have definitely gone down. I don't have any data on how yeah. many can put the numbers. The numbers have, have certainly gone down from the 50s and 60s, and you're yeah. right, there probably is people moving to the U.S., but, but the numbers are still significant, and there is, there are, there are, I think there's about 50,000 Jamaican citizens in the U.K. and about 180,000 who were born in Jamaica, most of whom have become citizens. So it's still, it's mm. still significant, it's, but not compared oh, okay. to the U.S. But not like when it was in the 50s, or at least after no. World War II. But, you know, what's really astonished to me is that the British, they would come to Jamaica and exploit it there. Then when the, world, when the war was over, they needed hands and feet to go clean up the, um, the bombs, and they would bring us over mm. there. But now that they're done exploiting you, they want to shove you aside, you know. Yeah. What is the typical deport? Yes, it's very true, and it's very offensive, too. I mean, just how much mm. can you make? You just keep making money off of us. You made money off of us in slavery. You made money off of us after World War II, and, and, and you're just making money, money, money. You know, what mm. is the typical deportee prof profile? Um, share with us the kind of people that get deported about uh, discourse in the U.K. and policies in the U.K., Okay, so the kinds of people that get deported, I don't think there is a typical deportees profile. I mean, it varies in terms of how long people have been in the UK. Some come as children, some have only been there a few years. Some people, and this is especially likely with, with women, actually, who are in the criminal justice system, 
were um, a court of the border for drug importation, and that's less common than it was a, a few years ago. But, but so some people are caught at the border. Uh, some people have been there since they're young. The majority of deportees are men, probably about 80 to 90 percent. And not all the people who are deported from the UK to Jamaica are, are ex-offenders, but most of them are. About I think it was about 70 to 80 percent in 2013 as, as the people deported from the UK to Jamaica were ex-offenders, had spent time in prison. So I don't think there's a typical, but I mean, there's often, often, often men in their 20s to 50s, really, and um, and, it, and it varies as to how long they've been in the UK and their sentence. So I wouldn't want to say there's a typical. And then the discourse in the UK towards uh, towards ex-offenders, towards foreign criminals, as they're called, is, is very hostile. And uh, there's kind of a push to get anyone out who's got a criminal record who isn't a citizen, regardless. And which is why, which is why, kind of, so many people's lives are being destroyed by deportation at the moment. I think. Yeah. Well, since you're currently living in Jamaica, talk about the prison um, and the way it has been received. Because you're basically there on the ground. Sure. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things going on when the prison gift, as it was called, was released. And come and, and <laughs> come and um, All right. Yeah, exactly. So um, one of the things was the timing of it. I think it was the timing was kind of Jamaicans were excited to be talking about reparations, and there's this kind of fervent debate about reparations, which was quite interesting and um, alive and then Cameron comes and snubs it very quickly says we need to move on from slavery um, oh. and then go talk about the prison so that was that was it that was one of the things in which but it's it in, was just, in the way in which it was just so outrageous because when mm. he goes around Jewish people he got on his knees I don't know if you saw that photo um, within a, um, I wrote an article about it it's like my latest blog so for those of you in blog world, go to Jamaican Diaspora blog, and that's my latest blog. You had Cameron on his knees. I never thought I would ever see the prime minister of the U.K. on his knees in front of some Holocaust museum, um, memorial talking about six million Jews were murdered, and this must never happen again, and he's so humble about it. I mean, it didn't even happen in England. It happened in Germany. But for mm. six million, he's so humbled, and, and and we must never forget it. But the black people who his ancestors um, used to chop sugarcane in Jamaica and make the UK rich, well, we should move from slavery and just forget about it. And the only mm. other problem with that Holocaust memorial is that there were a lot of black Germans, which some people conveniently forget, they were marched into those ovens, and you never hear any germ black Germans. We're talking about Afro-Germans. They never get any reparations. They never get any documentary, miniseries, or anything else. But the white Jews, well, they have to get reparations. Um, I don't know if you know that Obama even gave the Jews reparations. It didn't happen in the U.S., but the U.S. has given them reparations. Germany will forever have to pay um, Israel for what happened to them. And we must never forget that 6 million Jews went into the ovens. So it's just real interesting the way Cameron can get on the knees and tell white Jewish people, we can't forget that, but you black people, not only we're not going to give you reparations, but you can have a jail. That's just real interesting. Well, I so, mean, I think, I, think, I, think, I think you got to it there. You say that um, England wasn't really involved, and that's a, 
part of the point. It's an easy, easy one for Cameron to say we must never forget about, about this issue as though it has nothing to do with the UK, when in fact, for example, the UK turned back votes of people fleeing the Nazis. And no one, he never remembers that. He always talks about Britain as being a safe, tolerant haven for refugees with the Jews as a prime example. But actually, Britain has had and still does have big problems with anti-Semitism and wasn't supportive enough of the Jews fleeing the Nazi persecution. So this amnesia about history is not just, it's hardly surprising. And Cameron has not been consistent in any way. Um, of course, it is partly about the denigration of, of black bodies. And, but it's, it's also just that to admit to admit um, the need for reparations requires a radical act, and Cameron's never going to engage with that, whereas talking about the Holocaust can be seen as something separate from him having to do anything. He doesn't have to have to change shift any economic changes compared to what he would have to do to repair for the... Even well, to I'm start sure to repair for slavery. But, he, but, did, but England did repair, because they gave the... Was it the Bandar's Agreement... Bandor Agreement in 1930, 13, when, oh, I don't remember the exact name, um, name of that agreement, where they told Israel, um, the Jewish people, we're going to just give you Palestine. And, um, but that was the agreement in 1913 that started this whole well, issue between, that, if but, that but, was saying I'm conscious of making it sound like the, the Jews have had a good deal, because I think also that Balfour Treaty was based on not wanting Jews in the UK. So anti-Semitism is, a, is still a real problem, and it's good that people are remembering the Holocaust, but at the same time, it's interesting to do the comparison, as you have, between the denial about the wrongs of slavery and almost the imagining that... The thing that really annoyed me about what Cameron said is he said, he said, we need to remember history and remember that Britain was so central in abolition, and it was like unbelievable that he was willing to take ownership of abolition but not to recognize ownership of the institution of slavery. So yeah, he's, he's been absolutely disgusting on, in talking about slavery and reparations. Right. So that, it, it, it's, it, it's like selective memory. And if people who course, aren't, yeah. don't read, you know, when you're in school, you're supposed to read history and some people don't, they just blow it off. Mm. But if you don't read and learn about your history, you'll swallow that whole and not have anything to say about it. You know, they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, they were they're such good people." You know, but but um, back to mm -hmm. the deportation in Jamaicans in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, the security officials would seem to favor having an upgraded facility. What is the issue with that position? Well, I mean, I'm 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 a bit on the fence about this one because I think Jamaica does need a new prison. The two prisons currently are pre-emancipation facilities where prisoners are kept in, in diabolical conditions and it doesn't help anyone. So I understand that Jamaica does need an upgraded facility. But the question is really over Cameron's interest and over the prisoner transfers um, and over whether the money that Cameron's giving is even anywhere near enough for, you know, for the upkeep of the prisoners he says he's going to be able to transfer and send back. So I think there's a lot of questions about Cameron and the prison deal. But the separate question, which also should be dealt with by Jamaica and Jamaicans, is whether they need a new prison, which I think I think they do, given the conditions in, in the two facilities they currently have. Hmm. There was a well-received documentary that profiled the lives of three deportees. I don't know if you got to see that. Um, reintegration into the community. It seems a challenge. What has been your finding? 
in terms of reintegration, yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult for lots of people. Many mm-hmm. people come back without without family ties. Um, you know, some people don't have anyone to pick them up at the airport or anyone to li- anywhere to live, and that's where the NGO that I'm working with are trying to sort of ensure people do arrive with someone to take them to where they where they're going. People arrive with no money because you remember that people people in the criminal justice system are often very poor and marginalised. So people arrive back with no money, but their accents and the way they walk means people think they've been a foreign. So they are they at real risk of of uh, extortion and being targeted for crime, especially if they live in certain areas where they don't really know people. It's really hard mm-hmm. to find work for all Jamaicans, but especially hard you know if you've not been around because you don't you don't have any social capital, you don't know anyone. And then but, everyone. But you- is, everyone Come on. Come on. But you, um, you, you said two things that kind of um, threw me. They arrive with no money. And okay, like for example, in in I'm in Chicago, and when the when the prisoners mm. leave, they leave with a fifty dollar fifty dollars, which is nothing, right? But at least they leave yeah. with something. Are you telling me that they just pick them up, plop them on the airport, and say, well, not even a hundred pounds, nothing? I don't actually buddy? know about that. I mean, I, I was I was talking slightly longer than just the immediate arrival back. So there's two things. One, people arrive back without anyone, any contact, and sometimes don't have a lift. And then the other thing is quite soon after they arrive, they don't have any, any money. So basically, I'm not saying that they arrive stranded at the airport without a penny, but um, but very quickly mm-hmm. people find themselves with no money. It, it, that's very regularly, and, and so they're kind of often relying on relatives abroad, perhaps, to give them phone credit and to keep them, to give them money to live. Mm. And so another thing that happens for people is they go back to stay with an auntie or a parent or a grandparent, and family relations can become strained because Jamaica is a difficult place for everyone at the moment, and so being dependent upon a family member you've not seen for 20 years might not might not last, hospitality might not, so people end up in difficult family situations. And a lot mm-hmm. of people I know, they sound more like me than like Jamaicans. They don't speak Patois anymore, and they don't remember how to get around. And so sometimes I've been here for a few weeks, and I'll say, like, like we'll meet a half or two or something like that, and they don't even know how to get there or feel a bit nervous about the idea of traveling alone. Um, so people, in terms of reintegration, I'm daunted by the, not only finding meaningful employment, but just knowing how to how to eat and live and where to live and how to get around. People are really in some bad situations. Not everyone, but lots of people are. Yeah. It's like a culture clash, really. Because I'm more mm. of a diasporan than I... I mean, I love Jamaica and I do what I can for Jamaica, but I'm more of a diasporan as opposed to a... <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and, it's, and it's, it's different, right? You go back to Kingston after 10 years and it's... it's right, yeah. Even the school I went to, I, I went there just to see how it looked, and it was just a different vibe. Um, there are mm. some common traits that seem to be common among deportees. Are there? I, I would. Are there no. any common traits that you find, like for the people that you've interacted? Are there any common traits you find among them? I would, I would say no. But I mean, the people I'm speaking to are more likely to have fewer ties in Jamaica and have been in the UK for longer because they're in need of help from NGOs. So there are some people who come back and go straight back into their place they were living three years ago and that's that. So, so there's people who, uh, who haven't been away for so long and, and I don't really speak to them because they don't want to, there's no reason why they would want to speak to me, I guess, they're doing their own thing. So I would say there's, there isn't any real common traits, but I, like I say, the people who I've met have been marginalised in a number of ways 
especially economically, throughout their time in the UK. So they may have different statuses and different family connections and stuff, but they often haven't had it easy. And we know that from mm. the criminal justice system almost everywhere, that people who enter it and who are affected by crime tend to be from economically and socially um, deprived and marginalised uh, groupings. So, yeah, that's the only thing I could draw out, I guess. Well, okay, but there's something major that I don't know if a lot of people realize, but the UK has changed its policy in regards to the British citizenship. What's prompting? Well, why don't you tell them what it is, and then tell them what's prompting this. What What do you mean by Britain has changed its policy in regards to British citizenship? In In, in the British citizenship, just because you're born there, you're not considered British anymore. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think the audience, our audience would like to know a little bit more about that. Okay, yeah, so unlike in the U.S., um, we no longer have Ayusoli, which means law of the soil. So if you're born in the U.S., you're a citizen. In the U.K., that is no longer the case since 1981. So anyone born after 81, if one of their parents is a citizen or if one of their parents has settled migration status indefinitely or like a green card, then they will be a citizen. But if both parents are irregular then they don't automatically get British citizenship. So it's estimated that there's tens of thousands of stateless children, in fact, in the UK, who haven't got substantive citizenship. Because the UK is kind of assuming that the country from which the parents come will give them citizenship. But there can be gaps. So, yes, so so kids born in the UK, especially in places like London now, there are lots of people who are born as non-British citizens. Um, So that's a change. That's a big change. And I don't know how whether that has deportation consequences. I've been trying to put in a freedom of information request to find out if um, if Britain is deporting people who are born in the UK. But I think it's probably rare. I heard a solicitor tell me that they are pursuing the deportation of one guy who's from Sierra Leone. But I think it is still rare because you're claimed to not knowing anyone where you're from and you're claimed to rights to family belonging are obviously incredibly strong um, if you were born and have never been back to the country yeah. you're supposedly a citizen of. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, it would seem like that is the loophole they're going to use for a lot of the Jamaicans. I mean, if you're if you're from, say, you're a Windrush baby. A Windrush baby is your, your parents came over on the Windrush in the 50s or whatever, and then you're you're born there, but you're not going to... You know what I'm saying? Would but they I use thought, that as an be, excuse, excuse to say, well, you're stateless, so we're going to deport you? I think it's unlikely because if your parents are Windrush generation or if they came in the 60s and 70s, well, it's very likely they have status or citizenship, very likely. So okay. you would be born... Well, what about the... You know, but like earlier I was telling, asking you uh, if, there's, if there's still a large migration pattern. So if there's still a large mm-hmm. migration pattern going... I'm just using that as an example. But look, would you, let me rephrase the question. Let's say that you came over there. You know, you're from Jamaica and you come over there and then... Um, you know, you're settled and then you have children. But you're not really, um, if you're not, and then you had children in the 80s, 81, or, or right before it began, or when it, right after it began. And yeah. that child is now an adult, 18, 19, and they're committing a crime. They could say, well, you're not a British citizen. You've committed a crime. This is the loophole I need to deport you. I think that is a danger, and that is definitely there's a space for that in the in the law, and that's really a problem with not granting people citizenship by birth. But um, probably lots of kids are being born to Jamaican parents who aren't citizens, who are born as non-citizens now. 
um, in the UK. But the people I've met who've been deported, I haven't heard of anyone who was actually born in the UK. People who went there at seven, at five, um, people who went there at seven and are deported at 50, uh, people who go at 13 and deported in their 20s and 30s. So, I mean, that happens. But the difference between that, going as a young child and being born there, it's quite difficult, actually, to even notice. And they seem very much like they were born in the UK. But they do yeah. have vague memories, I guess, of childhood in Jamaica. So I've not, not met anyone that's been born there, but it's worrying that there's space for that in the law. There's no reason why why that couldn't happen. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. So the immigration issues in Europe have reached a boiling point this summer. What's your insight on that? That's quite a huge question. But I suppose it's important to remember that... Um, What's going on on Europe's borders has been termed a migration crisis, but it's not a crisis because too many people are moving. It's a crisis because they're being restricted in that movement. So it's perfectly possible to imagine a responsible European solution where uh, where Europe collectively granted free passage and shared responsibility for the thousands of people fleeing war and persecution and poverty. And the images, if you think about the images of the crisis, of shipwrecked vessels in the Mediterranean, of mayhem mm-hmm. in train stations in Eastern Europe, of deaths in the Channel Tunnel, of people stranded on the Greek islands, all of these issues, all of these images are only a crisis because people are not allowed to move by regular means. They're only a crisis because they're forced to move through these kind of dangerous dangerous routes. And they, why couldn't they move in, in airports? And then we wouldn't have what we, what we are calling a crisis of migration, which is in fact a crisis of, of migration yeah. control, as I see it. Is there a viewpoint that can balance security and immigration policies? I'm not sure what you what you mean by that. I, I mean, well, in terms of, you know, like, you, could you find a, a common ground? I'm I'm just gonna stay focused on on Jamaica though, as opposed to I'm just throwing the okay. the European migration issue in. But you know, we can just stay focused on Jamaica. Um, sure, yeah. You could find some sort of balance to to to, to for the children or the people who are um, the potential deportees. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the problem I have is that immigration and security shouldn't be blurred together as similar issues. So if you think about these people being deported, that they might be an issue of uh, criminal justice and they might be a threat, but deportation is never a solution for a British citizen and it shouldn't be for someone who's made their life in the UK. A response to people mm. committing crime is not to banish them. That's giving up on any con- concept of justice or criminal kind of criminal rehabilitation or whatever it is. So, I mean, to, to talk about security and immigration as a as at odds with one another, it's, I think it's probably part of the problem. I don't think immigration itself is a security threat. I think it's rendered a security threat as states try to control and to deport and to detain. But, you know, you, you are in the process of doing your PhD. What do you see mm. happening in upcoming years? Okay, in terms of Jamaicans and deportation, I, I really don't have... It feels like it's going to get worse. The conservative government at the moment are really, are really um, treating foreign criminals as a kind of folk devil around which to bring in uh, increasingly restrictive policies on immigration and, and uh, getting getting rid of the Human Rights Act. So it, it sounds like if Cameron's able to do what he's planning to, that, that things might get worse and that the anti-immigration mm-hmm. rhetoric might might see Jamaicans as one of a group among many targeted. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I don't see it as good, but I mean, you, I have to be hopeful, and I hope that people talk about these issues, and that I yeah. can use my research, I guess, to inform 
people what's yeah, going to on. Yeah, inform them and give them, give them some ideas. So what could issues. regular folks like me, you, and people listening to this podcast, what can we do to help the situation? Well, I suppose different people can do different things. So in the U.K. and in North America, I would urge the Jamaican community to talk about this issue without mm-hmm. too much shame or stigma around the criminal justice system and to organize around resisting deportations and, and to get citizenship. I mean, that's what I want to tell people in the U.K. is just where you can, because people don't think about it or they think indefinite leave or a green card means permanent residence, but increasingly it doesn't. So I would encourage people to try and get their citizenship early when they can. And then I suppose yeah. those working in prisons uh, should be talking about deportation and trying to find ways in which they can help Jamaicans in, in the prison system. And then there's bigger campaigns, I guess, in the UK about cuts to legal aid. Um, anti-racist organising, I think, should be talking more about immigration control because it's increasingly an issue that affects Jamaicans in the UK, for example. We talk about um, race and criminal justice. We have a long history of talking about that in the UK, but deportation less so, but increasingly it can be a consequence of of racism mm-hmm. within the criminal justice system can be that you end up on a plane to a country you may not remember. So yeah, that would be good right. if we could join some of these different different struggles, oh, yeah. I guess, around criminal justice and around immigration. So the main thing is to um, organize, 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 and unite. <laughs> exactly. And, look, we definitely appreciate you spending some time with us on this very topical issue. And so to learn more about Luke... You can email him at luke dot d e n o r o n a h at g t c h a at g t c dot o x dot a c dot u k or you could just Google his name and <laughs> that might yeah, be a yeah, little easier <laughs> to learn more about Jamaican diaspora. Visit Jamaican diaspora. To learn about Chris Daly, visit um, digitaltogrowmedia.com. Once again, Luke, thanks for spending some time with us. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. figured out who the neighbor around the corner is. Oh, yeah? I like him a lot. He lets me talk as much as I want, is very simple, and has great plans. Okay, I have to meet him. Sure. Say hi. This is Metro PCS. Metro PCS is in your neighborhood. Come say hi and get unlimited data, talk, and text for only $30, period. All on the fast nationwide 4G LTE T-Mobile network. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. One gigabyte of high-speed data included. See store for details, terms, and conditions at data management info.